Hello! Welcome back to the Long Distance Love Bombs podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jeremy Goldberg. This week's episode is straight fire. It's so good. I'm so excited to share this with you. The guest is my friend Kelsey Grant, who is a relationship and love expert. And we had so much fun. There are so many giggles. There are so many nuggets of wisdom in here. She is brilliant and amazing. The conversation covered all kinds of really interesting topics, including boundaries and familial systems and childhood and love and relationships and dating and communication. It's so good. I think you're going to love it. Enjoy. Okay. Okay, I'm ready. Now you can start screaming. One more take. This is just us talking. We're, like, we're just you- talking on a, at a table with a mic between us. And yeah, it's true. We'll see what happens. It's going to be great. It is going to be great. It's going to be super great. I need lip balm. <laughs> Here we go. Here we are. Welcome to the vodcast. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Kelsey Grant at Radical Self Love. I know you, but for those who might not know you, like, what's your deal? Who are Mm -hmm. you? What is my deal? So many ways I could answer this question. It's true. Um, Well, like, my professional bio is I'm a love and relationship educator. And I basically help people love better and have better relationships. And (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) okay to give you guys context to what's happening here right now jeremy's trying not to make noise and he's using one of my t-shirts as a coaster i thought this was just a dish towel oh no it's a t-shirt but see if i do that i apologize no it's okay it's okay i i I was just really seeing a disaster of that cup tossing itself over here i'll use my beanie oh i thought that was a sock (laughs) This started well. This is the best podcast. You know one ever. thing I you know one one thing I love about you? What? Is that there's lots of things to love about you. Oh. You're like super giggly and also super smart and uh, you're just like so easy to be around. Thank you. So let's talk about love. Let's talk about love. <sighs> what the hell's love? God, I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> next <laughs> question. Kidding. Next next question. <laughs> Give me an easy one. Yeah. Um, oh goodness. I think for me. I'll just speak from my experience. Love is more of an action than anything. Like love is a way of being in the world and a gift that we give not only to ourselves, but to each other that enhances the connection and enhances the experience of being alive. And, you know, I think a lot of people misunderstand what love is and what it isn't. And we have all of these experiences when we're growing up that can really skew our understanding of love. You know, if we were born into a family system that was, you know, a little bit more challenging or a little more toxic, we'll collapse those toxic behaviors and our mind understands that is, well, that's just love. And so then we start recreating those same circumstances or similar ones as we get older and older and older. And we're looking for that same imprint of what we understood love to be. And so there's just a lot of work to do on this planet right now of, you know, rewiring that and understanding 
you know, the true essence of love instead of the maybe toxic, you know, understanding that we've been given. Yes. So, so like love is just a story that we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that story is a story that we were taught as children and in our family systems and by society and culture. Yeah. And then the process of self-love, which you are an expert at, I would say, is then is that just simply recognizing the story that you tell yourself in your brain and rewriting that in the most powerful way possible? Yeah, essentially. Um, and it also integrates pieces of self-acceptance. So, I mean, self-acceptance is a huge part of rewriting that story. We can't mm. rewrite the story that we refuse to acknowledge. Oh, shit. <laughs> that was like an Instagram meme. Oh, that was. I better write that So down. how do you do that? I mean, first we have to just look at our lives as a whole and make peace with reality. So there may have been things that have happened in your past that weren't pretty and they, they weren't optimal. And a lot of people are in denial about the challenging things that have happened. And if we can't even say to ourselves internally that, yes, those things happened, um, and then separate it from whether that was good or bad or right or wrong. And I it's think just isness, it right? Just is. It just is. It just is. This is something that happened. And then from that point, we can see like what our minds have made it mean. So we put a filter on it. We make an assumption or we make a meaning around this happened, therefore it means this about me. So let's say my, my parent was emotionally unavailable. That means that I'm unlovable. That's usually some version of that equation is what's been established in the mind. Like I'm not good enough, I'm so good I have enough. to try harder. I have to be perfect. I have mm-hmm. to earn it. Mm-hmm. I need to do more. I need to chase, right? Yeah, Rather than just accepting that you are love inherently yeah. and that you're worthy and you're enough. 100%. And, and so why is this stuff so hard? It sounds so easy when you say it. It's like, just fucking love just yourself. Just love yourself. What's Duh. your deal? <laughs> Duh. Duh. Um, <laughs> but it's true, right? Like, nobody escapes childhood alive. Like, we all have some kind of weird, traumatic thing. Even if your parents and your familial system were perfect and flawless, etc., like, that's the obstacle to overcome. Mm-hmm. Because the world is not flawless and perfect. And, and, yeah. Right? And in, in the mind of a child, we might interpret our parents' behavior as something that's, you know, f- really far away from their actual intentions. So let's say we did have parents that were really attuned and really loving and really kind and, like, the family system was generally quite healthy. But, you know, you have a three-year-old who is, like, pulling on their parents, you know, shirt for attention while they're cooking a meal on the stove. And maybe in that moment, the parent gets really short with the child. I mean, like, stop it. And they turn away to turn down the burner that's boiling over on the Mm. stove, which there's a good reason why they did that to keep the child safe. And, but in the mind of a child, it means, Oh, when I need attention, my parent turns away, even though that could be the most integrated parent, you know, who is so loving and so kind. And so when we talk about wounding, you know, it's not necessarily like these really abusive traumas that have happened, but we all have wounding because in the mind mm-hmm. of a child, we don't have this bigger context to understand what's happening. So it's like the subtle, pervasive, under the surface kind of stuff that really fucks us up. Yeah. 100%. And so then and so then the process of, of accepting yourself or loving yourself then is to 
I, I would imagine just get curious, mm-hmm. right? Like, why do I think that? Why do I feel that? What's yeah. going on? Where did that come from? Where did that come from? Yeah. Is and, this mine? That's oh, a great question to ask. Is this mine? Is this mine? How do you mean? So let's say you're having a feeling or an experience of anxiety in your body. And you just spent, you know, an afternoon with someone who is incredibly anxious and you walked into their energy fields and then you leave their energy fields and you're feeling anxious Mm. and you're like, is this mine? Does this actually belong to me? Or did I pick this up just by being in their energy? It's like when you go to the baggage claim at the airport and sometimes you just pick up the wrong bag Yeah, and then you're like, you get maybe to the door. I don't do this. Maybe I've I've never, never, no, Mm -mm. not once, but you get to the door, right? Hypothetically, a friend of mine does this (laughs) and you get to the door and you're like, oh shit, that's not my bag. Yeah. And you just go back and leave it. Yeah. And you pick up your bag. Yeah. And it's like, and you get on with your life and then you move on. You know, you get in a taxi and you, you get on home. Yeah. But imagine how awkward it would be if you just carry that bag all the way to the hotel and you get all the way to your room and you open it up and you're like, ugh. And then the insight hits after all that time and energy has passed, right? And then you're like, oh shit, this isn't mine. But I may as well wear all the clothes <laughs> yeah. in the suitcase yeah, exactly. one time. I gotta put all all of their stuff on. I guess I'll just wear these dresses. I guess I will. Mm. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, we fixed it. Everybody listening is like, oh, I just have to wear my own clothes. Stranger's clothes. Okay, yeah. okay. But so then, to continue this analogy, right? Mm-hmm. How do you how do you recognize what's yours versus like what's your outfit versus an outfit that was like gifted to you? Like mm-hmm. if I gave you that that shirt you're wearing, right? And then you start wearing it. That's a conscious decision. Mm-hmm. I suppose that's the difference, isn't it? Where yeah, you're choosing to wear that thing because you feel like it benefits your life, where it makes you feel good, or it makes you feel um, yourself. 100%. And I think it's an important thing to distinguish as well. Like things that like maybe outfits you tried on early in childhood, they might not fit anymore as an adult. Or they're just fucking ugly. Like have you ever seen those old family photos and you're like, mom, why did you dress me in that? Like pandas are cute and shit, but I should not have been wearing that sweater. Like, uh, and it's like that with like kind of every child photo, right? Yeah. You're like, like, or a haircut. Like, my mom gave me this radical mullet where I was like, what? I'd really love to see that. We could do that later. I'll show yeah. you my mullet. Please. Okay. <laughs> 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 Want to see my mullet? <laughs> uh, but so it's it's a similar analogy, right? So the the clothing or the mullet idea is like a very blatant thing that you can identify. It's mm-hmm. visible. It's mm-hmm. easy to see. Whereas what you're describing is like emotions or hurts. Pieces of your identity. Pieces of your identity that are below the surface. And so what's the process then for someone that's just going around their daily life, right? And because I, I hear this a lot with clients, and you probably do as well, that everything's good. I got the job. I got the partner that's really great. I got money in the bank. And yet there's this niggling whisper. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, there's more out there or there's something going on inside and I, and I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. There's just this thing, right? Sure. So how, how do you deal with that? I mean, if, if we look a little bit deeper, we're always going to find, you know, especially when people are like, no, I'm good. I'm fine. That's, That's you, always a trigger. It's like, how are you? Fine. Yeah, I'm fine. fine. I'm really I'm good. good. I'm so good. Great. Oh, life is so good. I'm fine. You know, and so anytime that we're noticing that someone is answering that question that way, 
it usually is an, an indication that there's something in some area of that their their life that they're avoiding, that they haven't made contact with. So maybe that's another question: is like, what am I avoiding right now, mm-hmm. or what do I not want to feel? Yeah, or not want to face. Mm. Um, there are things that maybe I don't want to talk about. Maybe there are experiences from my past that I would just rather kind of lock away and never look at again. Like any of those areas you're going to find are the ones that are meddling with your capacity to actually feel fulfillment in all of those areas. So yeah, they might be working, but are you fulfilled in those areas? That's two very different questions. It's like, like this old rusted car might work. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's not a great ride. No, it's not like, fun to be in. Like, the radio doesn't work and the air con. Yeah, there is no... There is no air con. Like, the exhaust is pretty much just choking you to death. And you're like, no, it's fine. Like, this, is all, I, this is all I need. Yeah. It gets me from A to B. Yeah, and, you know, kind of existing and coasting through life mm. is not the same as living. And thriving. And thriving. Yeah. And all of us have the capacity to thrive within our lives if we're willing to look at the things that we're trying to avoid or that we're in denial about. And the first place that generally comes up is, you know, when you ask someone to look at their family system. And most people will defend their family system. Such like, as what? Such as no, like my parents were great. Like I I have I had an amazing upbringing. That's generally the answer that comes up unless you're dealing with someone who's had crazy trauma or abuse or addiction Mm. um anyone who is in kind of that middle ground they're gonna they're gonna defend their parents and what we have to understand is when we're identifying our wounds from childhood and our early family system it's not throwing our parents or our primary caregivers under the bus we're not saying that they're to blame we're not saying that they're bad or that they're wrong we're just identifying that there, there was an experience that happened that left me feeling a certain way that I never addressed. You know, at what it's point, hindering me in the now. Yeah, it's stopping me from actually moving into my potential, and it's actually stopping me from living my best life or feeling fulfilled. And like we learn everything about relationships from our initial family of origin, so you learn what it means to be in partnership from a very young age based on what your family system looked like. And whether that was, you know, a family system that you were born into or that you were brought into, like whoever your primary caregivers were, that was your initial imprint for what relationship is. And so if we don't do that work to understand what was going on there and what we might have learned, we really are going to keep coming up against these edges in our romantic relationship where we're like, why do I keep attracting uh, the same thing? There's only assholes in this town. Only assholes. Everyone is emotionally unavailable and no one can actually show up and give me what I need. Like, all men are this way. All women are this way. Like, the second mm. we start making those types of generalizations, we know that or I know at least, that someone is acting from a very wounded relational place. Mm. So it sounds like going back to this whole idea of self-acceptance and self-love, it sounds like the first step is kind of to get curious Mm -hmm. in the present of how you're feeling and then get curious about what happened in the past Mm -hmm. to write the story in your head that's leading you to feel that way about what's going on, Mm -hmm. right? Okay, so then the next step would be what? Say you've identified that your family system had a few 
hiccups, mm-hmm. let's call them, mm-hmm. a few little speed bumps on the road of life, right? And so then how do you deal with that? Well, then we go into the phase of we want to accept what's so, which means, you know, accepting reality, that that is what happened. Mm. So how the hell do you do that without you, being you, resentful and angry well, and, like, blaming? I mean, this is where you're going to have to do some forgiveness work, probably. Yeah. Okay, can we dive into that, actually? Because I use this with people all the time. Like, I'm like, you're doing the work. Like, this is doing the work. Or, oh, there's just more work to do, right? And, like, this idea of work is a four-letter word, mm-hmm. right? Like, ugh, ugh, work, the worst. Mm-hmm. And so, for me, work is, like, Feeling the feelings, yeah. having a good cry, mm-hmm. having a hard conversation, mm-hmm. like thinking, mm-hmm. or even as simple as just meditate, like mm-hmm. sit still mm-hmm. and just f- check in and feel. And so this idea when we say that coaches use this a lot or self-development gurus yeah. or whatnot, it's like, you got to do the work, you got to do the work. And so for me, it, like curiosity can be work. 100%. Just sitting around being like, huh, why am I triggered by this person? Mm-hmm. Like, What's going on? Mm-hmm. Okay. So we do the work. We do the work. We get curious. We, you know, dive in and get to a place where we can say, okay, this is actually what happened. And it's not right, wrong, good, or bad. It's just what is. This is my experience, and my experience is valid. So I think the biggest piece that gets missed in the work is the piece about validation. So, of the self. Of the self. Which is why we probably have a culture of people who are constantly seeking external validation because they don't know how to validate themselves. And or they don't know how to feel their feelings, right? So 100%. it's like, I feel terrible, I'll buy this thing, I'll yeah. watch this thing, I'll distract and avoid and escape and numb, mm-hmm. right? And so we have to be able to feel the feelings mm-hmm. without acting through the feelings. What do you mean? So let's say you feel anger. Okay. Anger is very valid. It tells us where our boundaries are. And it's not bad. It's not bad. Right? You There's need not bad anger. emotions or bad feelings necessarily. No. But you can do bad things. Out of anger. Out of anger by acting through your anger. And anytime we act through anger, we're actually turning anger into aggression. Yeah. So I read in um, Codependent More, No More, amazing book. Mm-hmm. And she has this analogy of um, like there's a big difference between wanting to kill someone and killing someone. Yeah. Of like, there's the action, mm-hmm. and then there's the feeling. And mm-hmm. you can do a lot with that feeling. You could write really beautiful poetry. You can go to a boxing class. You can do some push-ups. You mm-hmm. can cook a, a full meal. You can clean your house. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And so is this what you're alluding yes. to? Okay. Because, like, your feelings are valid. And then what we do with our feelings, we have to be responsible for. Ooh, responsibility. Because a lot of people are not, you know, aware of their feelings. They don't know how to validate them and then they act through them. So we see, you know, people acting in passive aggressive ways or like straight up aggressive ways, um, using anger to bully people into doing what they want or, you know, getting really emotional and like crying and manipulating that way. Like there are so many ways that we can use our emotion to manipulate an outcome. And that is not effective if you're looking for long-term fulfillment and if you're looking for like actually feeling at peace within yourself. And so we have to be able to distinguish, like these are the feelings that I'm having. My feelings are valid. And it's okay that I'm feeling this way. It makes total sense. Like That's the framing that I use and then I'm constantly giving back to anyone that I work with. 
And it takes a while for that to click in and that becomes your internal voice. When you have a feeling, you're like, oh, this makes sense why I'm feeling sad. I'm human. Something sad just happened. Or it makes sense why I'm angry. Like that person completely disrespected my boundary. 100% that makes sense why I'm angry. And then there's space so that when we take action, it's congruent with who we want to be in the world versus acting through our emotions, which is anyone who's, you know, volatile in the world, you know, they're acting through their emotions. They, they don't have intimacy with their emotions. They're just acting through them. And that's very problematic. Like you cannot create intimacy with another person if you've not created emotional intimacy with yourself. And emotional intimacy is being able to feel your feelings fully and then have space to act, you know, congruently with the person that you want to be in the world. Okay, and so then what would that look like in a practical sense, right? Say we're say we're like a happily married couple. Okay. And we're having a fight and I'm like so angry, I'm just I'm going cuckoo up a tree. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ugh. <laughs> and then I decide, now's a really good time to have that chat about that thing that's been bugging me for a week. Mm-hmm. Probably not the best idea. No. Right? But so, that happens a lot. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. And so that's an example of uh, using the emotion or the anger in a, in a negative way. Mm-hmm. I don't know if negative is the right word, but in a non-ideal yeah. highest doesn't, level of self way. It doesn't create connection. It doesn't way. create connection. So a better way would be go and use a punching bag for an hour. Mm-hmm. Once the anger is processed, come back and have the chat. Yeah, and even like one step before that, have a conflict resolution plan within your relationship where you discuss this before you ever get to a point of being triggered with each other. Because what most couples will do, like even if they're trying to be responsible and respectful, is let's say one person gets super triggered and they they know that they need to blow off some steam and then they just take off. Right. Like, where are you going? I got to get out of here. Yeah, and then the other person, all of their abandonment stuff comes up, and now you're dealing with two five-year-olds who are triggered as fuck and right. vying for like the victim stance. Because? Because that's what happens when we get triggered. We turn into five-year-olds. And we use the same coping strategies that we tried to use in childhood that weren't effective, but we think, oh, maybe because we're an adult, this will work now. Mm. Doesn't. Because that, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Humans are fascinating creatures. Mm. Um, but what would be more effective is you know, sitting down and having a grown-up conversation with your partner and just admitting the reality that, hey, sometimes we're not going to see eye to eye. There are going to be times in our relationship where we hit conflict. There are going to be times in our relationship where things don't go my way. They don't go your way. You know, life happens. Or I'll be wrong. Or I'll be wrong and you'll be wrong and, you know, all these things. And how are we going to deal with that? Like, what's our plan? Like, when you get triggered, what do you need? Do you need space or do you need to talk? And just having that information about your partner is so important because then you can have a plan of like, okay, when I get triggered, maybe I give you a gesture. <laughs> Not like giving them the finger, but like giving them a gesture. It's a pretty blatant gesture. <laughs> oh, as I a need man, space. As a man, I appreciate that. I'm like, oh, I think she's triggered. Like you have your middle finger right in my nose. Like, I think I got that. Picking it up. Huh. Huh. I'm picking up something here. Huh. Um, How do you feel right now? <laughs> do 
you need to talk. <laughs> do you need to talk? <laughs> Conflict resolution plan 3B says. Yeah. <laughs> and like just because sometimes when you're super triggered, you can't even get words out. Right. So by having like multiple layers to your conflict resolution plan, like you might say like, okay, when we get triggered, one of us will be able to, you know, come through that faster. The first person to come through says, okay, we need to take space. And what space means is we're going to go take a 20 minute timeout. You need at least 20 minutes to re-regulate your system when it's been triggered like that. So no less than 20 minutes apart. And then we will come back together and we will discuss, you know, what's actually going on. And from that more regulated place, you can ask questions like, okay, I noticed that you were really angry and I'm curious, like, what, what's true for you there? Like, is there anything that was going on aside from this issue that we're having conflict about that has been unresolved for you? And how can I be a better partner? Or even, I I found an effective one. I was like, what do you need right now? Mm -hmm. Like, do you need me to fix this? Do you need me to just shut up and listen? Do you need me to hold space? Mm -hmm. Do you need um, this other idea of, like, the hierarchy of needs, right? Mm -hmm. Like, do you need some sugar? Yeah. Like, are you thirsty? Yeah. (laughs) Are you tired? Did you sleep? Mm -hmm. Um, Elaine de Bouton has this this gem about um, one of the most effective ways you can resolve a disagreement is just to assume that your that your partner is a three year old, mm-hmm. and go to those basic needs first. Like, yes. is she hungry? Is she thirsty? Is she Wait. slept well? In the same way you'd treat a crying toddler, mm-hmm. like, oh, can I get you some food? You need a nap. You need it. We all need a nap. Yeah, we all do. The whole fucking world needs a nap. Oh gosh, yes. Right. Naps and hugs. Naps and hugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag <laughs> naps and hugs. That's gonna be. I'm gonna run for president one day. I was like. Napsandhugs.com. Can I be your running mate? <laughs> yeah. We'd get some votes. We got podcasts. Yeah, yeah. It makes sense. <laughs> We're totally legit. Yeah. I'm not American, but that's fine. Um, I am. Yeah, so it's fine. I can be your running mate and Totally. By then who knows what the fuck's going on in exactly. this world, really. And that's a tangent. That is a we tangent. Should avoid the political. Well. I mean Jesus. <laughs> oh, now we're making it religious. Okay, got it. <laughs> Politics, religion, back to conflict. Um, Actually, that's perfect because we were talking about conflict. So, yeah. Really. So, so I have a question. Mm-hmm. So, I love this idea of like a conflict resolution plan. Mm-hmm. But I hear that, and I and I imagine a woman coming up to me and saying, "Hey, Jer, can we talk about our conflict resolution plan?" <laughs> and I'm mm-hmm. and I imagine me being totally receptive to that. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> like, oh God, what is this? Like, what does this work? Mm. So, so how do you, um, or what ideas do you have about engaging your partner in this discussion or broaching the topic? Mm. Right? Because I think a lot of people love this idea of um, vulnerability mm-hmm. or open communication, open dialogue, etc., uh, etc. Et but then it's like, how do you start? The conversation. There's that awkwardness where you don't quite know what to say. Mm. And I think that in talking to a lot of people and even having been there myself, mm-hmm. it's just like, oh. And so one thing I use, for example, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, is just like, I don't know how to say this, but blah. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel this and yeah. here's some ideas and can we talk about that? I mean, I'd love that Thanks. because it's really true and it's <laughs> authentic. And like, as soon as you lead with a phrase like that, you immediately bring down the guard. Which is what did I say? I don't. Um, I don't, know how to I, say I don't even know how to say this. Yeah. You know, but this is this is kind of what's there for me. 
Or like, this is awkward, but... Yeah, this is really awkward. Or like, you might not, you know, feel this way, but like, this is definitely what's going on for me. Or like, hey, do you have five minutes? Yeah. Something. I mean, I am a big fan of always asking permission before launching into conversations like this. Mm. And I find that it's a very effective thing, especially to do, you know, in conversations with men. Because, you know, as a woman who is more prone to multitask, I can have a, like five conversations going on at once. Yeah. And maintain I, can barely, I can't count to five and do something else at once. And so I really want to account for, you know, men being more singular focused mm. and not seeing that as a weakness in them, but actually seeing that as such a strength because mm. whenever I have a conversation with a guy, knowing that he's single focused, like he's focused just on me. Yeah, like like when I'm there, I'm like right He's now, there. like I'm here. Here, like yeah, there's nothing else. It. Right. Whereas I'm like already present to like what's happening on the street. I was hearing a conversation yeah. in the hallway. It's crazy. And like to me. there was all this other stuff going on, but still talking to you. Yeah, wild. Wild. And so. <laughs> and and I think that's such a huge thing for men and women to recognize that like we're different so creatures. Different. So what works for your women friends is not going to translate identically mm-hmm. to your husband, your boyfriend, whatever. Exactly. That was like a game changer for me when I started diving into all this stuff. I'm 100%. like, wait, what? Huh? You can do all that at the same time? And then also trying to, trying to be that man, right, years ago of like, oh, I should be able to do all of those things at mm-hmm. once. And then recognizing that I just don't have the genetic hardware to pull yeah. that off. Like I can track a rabbit at a hundred yards for a day mm-hmm. because evolutionarily, you mm-hmm. know, I was the provider or whatever. Yeah. And I the hunter. pull that shit off. But to, to manage all the things, mm-hmm. nah. Exactly. And <laughs> so we have to take those instinctual, like hardwiring elements into consideration if we want to win with each other. Right. Like if you don't want to win with your partner, if you cool. don't want to win like, with the men in your life, you don't want to win with the women in your life, then fuck what I'm saying yeah. and keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. If, like if you just want to be right yeah. or feel like you're right. Yeah. You want to be righteous? Go for it. Like, Knock you yourself pr- out. probably shouldn't listen to this podcast. Or they probably aren't. Probably not. To be fair. Let's be honest. Like, hi, I'm Long Distance Love Bombs. I'm interviewing Radical Self Love. We're going to talk about <laughs> relationships. It basically weeds the audience out that's itself, true. right? That's true. Like, and it, I put a heart in the logo. It's like, yeah. this is not about that no. world. No. Hopefully. Hopefully. And if someone got to this point. I'm impressed. And and I'm, Stick <laughs> around, friend. Like, we we want to welcome they're, you. They're waiting for the catch. Like, oh, I don't get into this. Mm-hmm. this it's weird. <laughs> okay, so. But so like this, going back to it. Yeah. Like, if I'm going to have that conversation about conflict resolution, yes, I'm going to ask my partner and be like, listen, I have something really important that I'd love to talk to you about. Um, and like your, your opinion is really important to me. And when would you have 20 minutes to talk to me? Or is now a good time? And just by framing it that way, like, and I'm not going to say that I need five minutes when I actually need an hour because yeah. that is disrespectful. It's annoying. It's annoying. And if I know that the conversation is a more intensive one, I want to respect that conversation by giving it the proper container to do the exploration. And it's so important because you set up the expectations Mm -hmm. for the chat from the get-go, right? And, like, I've noticed, like, when I do that with the men in my life, and I say, listen, I need a pocket of time. Like, it's probably going to take about 30 minutes for me to get through what I need to get through. Like, when do you have 30 minutes? And then he'll kind of scan his 
schedule or like what's going on. And then he'll give me a pocket that's available. So I already know that I'm setting that up for success because he's going to be fully available to me when I have that conversation. Mm. And so already like I've set it up to have his presence. And then I might say something like, all right, so can we agree that not every moment of a relationship is going to be sunshine and daisies and rainbows. Mm. And he'll probably say, yeah, <laughs> it's true. I'd be like, okay, great. I'm glad we're on the same page. Um, what I'd love is for us to have like a plan of action so mm. that I know how to love you and support you best when, you know, you get off track and that you know what will be loving and supportive to me when I get off track. And my commitment is that, you know, I'm going to do as best as I can to be present and regulate myself, but there are going to be times where I need your help. And I want to talk about that in a, in, you know, in a pocket of time where I'm not triggered because I actually really do care about winning with you and I want you to win with me. And I think if we talk about this and I understand those things about you, it'll help me to help you in those moments where you might be overwhelmed and you can help me in those moments where I'm overwhelmed. Um, is that something that would be of interest to you? And if the guy's like, nah. And I'll be like, okay, so we've gone as far as we can go. Have There's a beautiful incarnation. Beautiful incarnation. <laughs> <laughs> Namaste, fucker. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> Bye. But so this idea of, because this comes up as well, right? So you're in a relationship. And one person is sort of ahead Mm -hmm. or they're like, they're invested. They read the books, they follow the the thought leaders, they're they're involved in this stuff. And the other partner is kind of like not as switched on with this stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that person might be like conflict resolution. Like, no, we're good. It's fine. Mm. Right. And so, so this idea of um, like inviting your partner forward Mm -hmm. right or like helping them get to a new space a new level yeah whatever what um maybe can you speak to that if you have any thoughts i mean i think it's a very similar process like and if we did a better job this is a side note a better job of partner selection in the first place um you probably wouldn't be running into so many of these conflicts but most people suck at picking partners how do you really feel about that We make these decisions that are supposed to be like our lifelong partner based on frivolous things. Or we say, they'll change. They'll change. I'll change them. Mm. They don't, they just don't know yet. Yeah. I'll show them. Once, once he falls in love with me, he'll see how great I am and then he'll change. (laughs) You did that really well. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so you're saying... Uh, as a, a professional, that that's not ideal. Not ideal. In your experience. Not ideal. What and is ideal? Ideally, you want to take between three to, to nine months to assess a connection to make sure that you actually meet each other's criteria for what, So assess a connection, what is that? Like feel Dating. each other out, talk yeah. about family systems, talk about values, yeah, goals. Yeah, talk about it all. Yeah. And like find out, like within three months, you will generally have at least one experience of conflict with that person. Mm. Whether it's an interpersonal conflict and something that you're not seeing eye to eye on with each other, or they've experienced a challenge and you're going to see how they respond. And you judge them. And you judge them. Or they're going to see you when you get confronted. 
Mm. and what you do with it. And that tells you a lot about your future with someone. So let's say someone gets confronted, something happens at work, or like I dated this guy a long time ago. And in the time that we were, you know, getting to know each other and dating, he got into a car accident. And when that happened, he went out of communication. And I understood it from an instinctual level of like, oh, yeah, he's kind of retreated into his cave, licking his wounds and coming back out. But that didn't work for me as a partner. And like, this is a sign. Did he tell you that he was going to do that or he just like ghosted you kind of? No, he just kind of went out of communication. Mm. And it was me like constantly reaching out being like, what just happened here? Like we were in communication yesterday and now, you know, I don't hear from you today. And then this keeps happening. Like, what is going on for you? And then finally he tells me he was in a car accident. I'm like, mm, okay, that, that would have been important information to know. Are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> like, because yeah. like, I don't know how to support you if you don't tell me what's up. And mm. it's not that, you know, if people need space, that that's a bad thing. But not communicating that you need space, that's the problem. You know, because most people are actually quite reasonable when it comes to honoring what you need. And as long as you're up front and say, this is what I need and I'm not going anywhere. Like I need a couple days to kind of get my head on straight again. And like, that's the catch, right? Is like, it's not about you. Mm -hmm. Like I just need a night alone. Yeah. I need to read a book. Yeah. And I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. And I love you. Yeah. and, And I'm still in, or, and I'm still interested in this. Um, this relationship. 100%. And I want to continue to see you or speak to you, but I just need to chill mm-hmm. for X amount of hours or days or whatever. 100%. I mean, but then the other partner has to respect that, right? Absolutely. Rather than violating that boundary and poking and prodding and showing up with flowers and sending exactly. texts and stuff. And this is how you know if there's alignment. All right. So you share one of your needs or you share a boundary, watch what they do with it. Do they violate the boundary? And like some people will kind of turn a blind eye to that because they're like, oh, but he like showed up with flowers or like he was so texting sweet. me. Like, uh-huh. nah, nah. No, he's violating your boundary. Boop, boop, boop. Abort mission here. <laughs> this is a massive do not pass yeah. go. Yeah. Because, because how- you were clear and you, yeah. and you explained it and there was an agreement that this is what's happening mm-hmm. and we will both do these things. Yeah. And so then when that relation or when that boundary is crossed, it's mm-hmm. an integrity thing as well and 100%. a trust thing. Yeah. So what, what if we just quickly touch on boundaries? Because you hear this a lot thrown mm-hmm. around like, oh, you need healthy boundaries. It's a boundary issue. Oh. So what's a boundary? Uh, for me. For a relationship. For a relationship, it's the high quality information someone needs to love you best. Fuck, man. Did you just have that off the tip of your tongue? Like. <laughs> I was about to take a sip of water. I'm like, oh, this would be a quick... I got a chance, and then it was just bang. Okay, so sorry, say that again, or I get distracted. Yeah, it's the high-quality information that someone needs to love you best. Okay. And so can you have a boundary with yourself, then? Of Like, how do you treat yourself? 100%. What does that look like? I mean, that really has to do with, like, creating an internal... I don't know if moral code is the right thing. Probably more of an honor code, like an internal honor code. Like this is the code of conduct for Kelsey. Mm -hmm. This is what has me be in optimal alignment, optimal integrity. And these are the promises that I make to myself so that I can show up as the best version of me in the world. And that means that I can actually be the best partner 
I can be in the world. But if I'm out of my integrity, if I'm out of my alignment, if I'm really kind of down in the dumps, like I'm just not going to be a great partner because all of that energy that's kind of unresolved in me, it's so much easier to just project it onto someone else and release the pressure immediately because doing the work is uncomfortable. This is why most people don't do the work because feeling your feelings is fucking uncomfortable sometimes. Yeah, and unco- and like we're genetically engineered to avoid discomfort, yeah. right? Because for millennia, it kept us alive and it mm-hmm. kept us safe, and it meant that we get to live another day, mm-hmm. right? Not getting chomped by the saber toothed tiger for lunch. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So the like the analogy I use sometimes with people is like imagine there's a cave, right? Mm-hmm. And and you're a caveman, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I'm, okay. I'm following. And you're walking past, and you're like, oh, there's a big dark cave. And some caveman will be like, I'll just charge in there. Maybe there's a maybe there's a bowl of blueberries. Yeah. I don't know if there's blue a bowls in caveman days, but like, and then there's a lion. So like that person got it eaten, mm-hmm. right? The other caveman, it's like, oh shit, it's a big dark cave. I don't want to go in there. I don't want to know what's that, what that is. I'll avoid that. Mm-hmm. And then they survived, right? And mm-hmm. so we kind of have this predisposition to avoid the uncertain, unknown, uncomfortable things. 100%. And now what we're doing in relationship is saying, uh, that's where you grow. Mm-hmm. Like, that's where the magic lives. That's where fear is hiding. Mm-hmm. That's where your best life is just sort of taking a nap in a hammock and, you know, wake that thing up. Mm-hmm. But with all growth, you've never been there before. You've never done it before. It's new. It's weird. You're like this baby giraffe learning to walk. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm not good at this. Eh, everybody's staring at me. Like, yeah. Yeah. They are. You're going to look strange. You're going to feel strange. Yeah. It's going to suck. It is going to suck. And, and that's okay. It is okay. Because sucking isn't <clears throat> bad. It's just sucking. It is. It just is. It just is. <laughs> <laughs> and like as, you know, human beings who have evolved from cavemen and cave women mm. who did not have emotional intelligence, who did not have logic and reason, we have those things now. Fact. And so metaphorically, as we walk past that dark, scary cave, guess what? We can light, you know, a fire, toss it in the cave and illuminate some light to see, like, is there something in there that's really scary, that's toxic, that I should avoid? Mm. Or is this a, a safe haven? And The other know. thing I love is, um, not to say that our parents are cavemen, but to, to rec- I mean, maybe they are. Maybe they are. But, like, know. recognizing that our parents' generation, just one generation ago, they, these people grew up in the 30s or 50s or 60s, whatever. Mm-hmm. This is a vastly different time. Mm-hmm. Like, they did not have uh, Instagram. They did not have self-discovery workshops. They did not have... Cell phones? Cell phones. Didn't have... They didn't have Tony Robbins. It wasn't even a thing. Like, life coaches? Like, all of this stuff that we just take for granted of like, oh, do you follow Radical Self-Love? She talks about relationship dynamics and uh, conflict resolution. It's like, these people grew up, you know, watching the baseball game. On the antenna TV. On the antenna TV. And just, like, getting a job and working there for 40 years. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. And so then we, we judge them of like, oh, they should know more. Mm. They, should, they should be where I'm at, right? Mm. Why didn't they do that when I was a kid? Yeah, and why so, didn't they do their work? Why didn't they do their work? Because you know, mm-hmm. they didn't know there was any work to be done. No. Like, <laughs> and period. I was actually talking with my father about this last night. And like, my generation, in terms of like anyone born in like the late 70s onward, 
we're the first generation who hasn't been massively impacted by war, famine, and like we have access to information like no one else has before mm. us. And so it's the first generation that wasn't actually about survival. And every generation before us in some way, shape, or form, even in North America, was operating in this context of survival. You know, whether it was the war, the depression, or, you know, the Cold War that happened, you know. And the 70s, we were starting to come through that. And, you know, by the time that kids were born, late 70s, early 80s, we now have these more stable, like, yes, it's a nuclear family, but it's a much more stable environment in terms of we're not worried that, you know, we're going to get shipped off to war tomorrow. Literally. Literally. Yeah. And so the ways in which our parents were able to provide a different container actually provided the space for us to, you know, when we get to our teenage years or early adulthood to actually step into this conversation. So maybe instead of making our parents wrong, we should be so fucking grateful Mm. that they paved the way for us so that we could actually be the first generation to do the healing. Right. And that that idea of this ancestral trauma or whatever you want to call it, right? Because... Those, those people that I just referenced born in the 50s or 60s, their, por- their parents were born in the Great Depression, mm-hmm. like World War I. Mm-hmm. And there was like all kinds of shit going on, right? Yeah. And so those, so our parents were raised by our grandparents. And I love this idea of thinking of your, um, thinking of your mom or dad as your grandparents' son or daughter. Mm. And suddenly it's like, oh, so my grandparents raised my parents. And then you think back to where your grandparents grew up as. And it's like, Compare that to right now, and it's yeah. like, holy shit. They didn't even have electricity. They didn't even have eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> Hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> Hadn't evolved There's to that no point There's no Taco yet. Bell. No. <laughs> <laughs> There's no guitar strings. I don't know. I'm just making shit up. But it was a wildly different time. Very, very different. Right? Yeah. And so, so then the, the work, or not the work, but the perspective shift becomes, oh my gosh, like I'm the one that can put an end to all of mm-hmm. that centuries of yeah. kind of nonsense yeah. and choose to do the work, do the self-growth, do the self-discovery, become somebody that I want to be mm-hmm. to put our generation or our world in the best position possible to thrive and 100%. excel and connect and heal, mm-hmm. right? And that's all that's coming up mm-hmm. for, the, for the culture and for society. It's like just centuries of muck yeah. that's buried. And like, this is my personal stance on the matter, but like, I don't think that the world is going to transform until we transform ourselves. Like the majority of the population is at war with themselves. Mm. And we see that reflected in the turmoil on the planet. You know, when you're right with you, when you know who you are through and through, when you're resonating in that space of love and compassion and you can honor your shadow as much as you honor your light and you don't act through your shadow, but you know how to feel your feelings, um, that really changes how you interact with people. You can't look someone in the face and shoot them when you're connected to your heart. You can't harm someone when you've healed your heart. And so we want to heal the planet. We need to heal ourselves. And like it's such a simplistic answer, but it's also massive in its impact, you know. And this is one of the reasons why I started my company, because I could see that connection. And like everyone's trying to f- 
like focus on like these high level solutions, but no one's bringing it down to the micro level of who are the individuals who are going to inspire this change and are they right with themselves? Do they know how to be kind to themselves? Because how can you be kind to another person if you've never learned to be kind to yourself? Not going to happen. We're not going to see a massive tipping point on the planet until we've created that tipping point within ourselves. You're just so great. <laughs> I would vote for you. Thank you. Um, I'm conscious of your time. Are we already at an hour? Well, like, approximately. Sheesh. Um, but I, I know we each individually put up some questions on Instagram. Oh, right, we didn't even wanna, answer those. I know, but I'm bringing it back because okay, okay, I'm a professional yeah. podcaster. Right, right. This okay. is my second episode. Yeah. Uh, one question. <laughs> I, I appreciate that you didn't laugh at that. That's nice. <laughs> uh, um, so one question that came up a few times was the end of a relationship, mm. breakups, mm-hmm. right? And this is probably its own episode for an hour. Yeah. But in some, you you go there, you do the work, you find the partner, mm-hmm. you have the conflict resolution plan, and for whatever reason, it just doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. And then the valley of the suck arrives and you have to walk through the breakup. Mm -hmm. And so the questions that we received were things like, how can you get uh, empowered by that? Mm. How do you deal with that? How do you heal from a breakup? Any um, snap, snap ideas there for those people? Yeah. I mean, everything that we've talked about up until this point is relevant because that's good news. That's good news guys. (laughs) Um, Because breakups are going to force you to feel like that's one of their gifts. Is that that's a powerful perspective in itself, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the breakup is a gift. Yeah. In some weird. Yeah. Way. And like it, it really requires us to shift our entire context of relationship. If you, if your measure of success of a relationship is that it must last forever, when that relationship ends, you are going to think that you are the biggest fucking failure on the planet. But if we take the perspective of not every relationship is meant to last forever, relationships last as long as they're meant to last to serve both people. And once we've gone as far as we can go with someone, the relationship will end. And whether that's by death or by choice, every relationship will end. And people don't want to make peace with that reality. They want to live in this la-la land where like relationships just are perfect for forever and like no one has ever had that experience you know you have your first boyfriend girlfriend in fourth grade and then that's over in a week and you're already fucked it's beautiful (laughs) (laughs) but so you you raise a few important ideas one of which is uh there is no perfect relationship there is no conflict-free relationship and even i think People get this perspective because of social media and media in general sure. that the, all the people they follow, they never fight. They never have conflict. They have great sex and they, they visit tropical places all the time. Perfect. And, their outfits oh. are. But like we, we are kind of relationshipy coach people mm-hmm. and we know many. Mm-hmm. And like the truth is, is that relationships involve conflict and disagreements, mm-hmm. fighting, if you want to mm-hmm. call it that. The full range of human emotion. Mm. Like, even in the most, I hate this term, but conscious relationships. Barf. Um, (laughs) 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 But but in terms of. So now we'll tell you how to get that. (laughs) So now, let me teach you. Um, But in terms of those relationships where you have both people who are being responsible for their side of the fence. Yes. Um, even in those, like you're going to meet your edge. 
you know, you're going to meet parts of yourself that, you know, are gritty and your partner's also going to meet those parts in themselves. And they, it's not always going to be this walk in the park. Like you're going to feel things as soon as you start attaching to someone and building that emotional connection, that emotional bond, there's an instinctual fear that comes up about losing that. And so even if you are in like the safest container, there are going to be times where you meet insecurity, where you meet jealousy, where you meet envy, where you meet anger, where you meet sadness. And none of those are bad. They it's have, like it's a big party. Yeah. And, and, it's, and the invitation is growth. Mm-hmm. It's like come to the party, feel mm-hmm. all the things, deal with all the stuff and, and grow and yeah. feel alive and yeah. elevate. Because let's say jealousy comes to the table. Mm. And like your partner goes out and they're ripping it up. And what does that mean? <laughs> ripping it up? Like going out and partying. Okay. And they're Rip- having a, a, just a grand old time. Okay. You know, they're, they're drunk, they're wasted, whatever it is. And they get hit on by mm. someone. Right. And whether you're there or not, whether you hear about it afterwards or you see it happen in the moment, you're likely going to experience to some degree a flash of jealousy and jealousy is this person is a threat to the safety of my relationship. They might take away what I have. Now, a lot of people try and eradicate jealousy and they're like, Oh, you're just not evolved. If you experience that, fuck that. No, you're evolved. If you feel your jealousy and you (laughs) allow it to teach you something about what your actual emotional needs are in that relationship. And again, there's no bad feelings. No, it comes up. up. You get to decide what to do with it. Yeah. An empowered position versus a victim mentality. Like, Oh, I'm such a jealous Mm. person. But instead, like if jealousy comes up, maybe there's a need that you have around recognition from your partner. Maybe you need to hear from your partner how much you mean to them. Maybe you need to understand how they create emotional safety with strangers. And you just don't have that information yet, which is why it feels so destabilizing. And if you assume positive intent, you assume that your partner's there to be your teammate. And, and assume you, they're doing the best they can yeah, in, in any moment. And that they're not going out trying to hurt you. You know, you can't control who comes up to your partner. You can't control who finds your partner attractive. You can't even control who your partner finds attractive outside of you. And let me tell you that they do. What? You know, they're going to find other people attractive. You're going to find other people attractive. But again, do you act on that? Do you act through that? Or do you just experience the feeling of like, oh, yeah, that person's attractive. Cool. The, yeah, the difference between uh, where you get your appetite and where you eat your dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's not the, the that's a, like a terrible place to end. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it is. I don't even know if we, I don't even know if we answer the question about So breakups, what's the, like, like the one, se- one or two sentences about how, how to deal with the breakup? Like what's the. Okay. Like, so you got to feel your feelings fully and you need to get support. And most of the time, the people that we go to support for are very ill-equipped to guide us through that process. They're either going to keep us locked in that blaming state of like blaming your former partner, um, or they'll just, you know, sit with you in the muck of being a victim and they'll amplify that with you. Not helpful. So breakups are actually a great time to work with a coach and make sure that you work with someone that you trust because you're in a very vulnerable state and you need to be working with someone who respects that, who honors that, who operates with integrity in their own life and who has been through what you've gone through. 
and there is a lot of hype out there in terms of marketing. Like you gotta have your eyes open because just because someone is a great marketer does not make them a great teacher and doesn't make them equipped to hold your emotional world with respect and honor. And if they do not validate and honor what's going on for you and they try and push you through an experience that you're not quite ready to go through, that's not a sign of someone who would be an effective guide. You want someone who can meet you where you're at and respect where you're at, even if it means not working with them. So anytime someone is like, you must work with me, I am the answer to your prayers, you should probably run for the hills because that person is operating from lack and scarcity and like they just want you as a sale. They don't want to serve. So get you know, either into therapy, get into a program, work with a coach, or if you've got a circle of friends who operate, you know, in that world of awareness and personal development, be very selective with who you talk to your emotional you know, world with. And like, you're going to need time to blow off steam. Like when I went through my last gnarly fucking breakup, like there were pockets for a couple months where I was meeting that rage where I was meeting that sadness and I needed to be able to talk about it, but in a really conscious container. So I had one friend in particular who was really equipped to hold this space. He is really well-trained in the art of listening. And also he's a phenomenal coach. And so I would call him and he'd be like, are you ready to rage? I'm like, fuck yeah. And so he would just give me space. He's like, okay, for the next hour, just say like the gnarliest shit that you can think of. And I'm like, oh, relief, you know, because all of these thoughts were swirling in my mind anyway, and they were very dark. And you judge them, right? I shouldn't yeah, be shouldn't thinking be that. Feeling, I'm a bad if, person. And I'm, if someone heard me say this, oh I might God. go to jail. Oh gosh. You know? Yeah. And instead he was like, no, bring it. Mm. And so I imagined him like holding this trash bag and like our sessions were me vomiting my shadow and all of this gnarly shit into the garbage bag. And then Mm. he like tied it up at the end and took it to the trash bin. Yeah. And how'd you feel? Oh, free. I felt so free. And then I could actually access what was underneath that. Because it creates space. Like when it comes up, it comes out and then it leaves behind this space that then you get to play in. Totally. And decide what I do with that space. Yeah. Um, Kelsey Grant, you are amazing and incredible and I just adore the hell out of you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for Uh, having me. Where can people find you? Instagram, Radical Self Love. Um, That's the place I'm most active. My website is not up to date so you can go check it out but you won't find anything current on there. Um, We're in the process of redoing that. So Instagram it is. Instagram it is. Radical Self Love. Yeah. You're a gem. I adore you. I love you. Thank you. You're very welcome. We just totally did a podcast. Yeah, we did. <laughs> You're welcome, You're welcome, world. world. <laughs>